Well, again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. My name is Pastor Micah. So glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Um, and just excited to jump back into things. So, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. And we're going to get right into God's Word together this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and use that as well. We'd love for you to, to follow along that way. Um, and so we've kind of been in this new series uh, called God's Money. And we've been looking at what does it mean to approach our finances, to approach money um, in a way that aligns itself with the way God sees it, the way God thinks about it. How do we get God's perspective about money, right? Rather than my perspective or, you know, the newest guru on TV's perspective. Or like, how do we know what God thinks about it? And how do we get ourselves lined up with that? That's what this series is all about. We want to have that vertical view of money the way God sees it. And if you've missed any of that, you can go back and listen to some of the previous sermons. Uh, they'll be helpful to kind of lay a foundation. But we're going to kind of just keep moving forward today because oftentimes as um, humans, our, in, our, in the culture that we're in, our, it's easy for our, our uh, opinion, our view of money to get skewed, right? To kind of get off a little bit. And a lot of times the, I think the root of that is we kind of have this drive in us because we're human or because we're American or because of capitalism or whatever you want to blame it on. We have this drive inside of us that says, I, I need to get more money and I need to get it fast. Anybody else feel that? Sometimes you feel that pressure going on. Like we can all be honest in church today. It's okay, okay. Like I need to get more money and I need to get it fast. That's kind of the push that we have. And we're, so we're always looking for shortcuts, right? We're always looking for shortcuts to how do I get the next, to the next level with my finances. I remember one summer I was in college and um, I was needing a, a, a summer job. And so I was kind of looking around and looking for options, looking at the newspaper and there was this ad for a position, like a marketing position, and it was like $20 an hour or something like that. It was, it was like three or four times what I could make it, whatever job at the mall, you know? And so like, I'm gonna go try this out. So I set up the interview, I show up, like it's like 7 a.m. in the morning or something for this interview. I'm in my full suit with the tie, like I've got my A game on, you know, like I'm coming, I'm gonna get this job. So I walk in, I do the interview, interview goes well, they lead me to this room of like 20 or 30 other people Right? And so they sit me in this, in this room with all these people, and then this, a couple minutes later, this guy walks in for like a, kind of like a group interview kind of deal, right? And so he kind of is talking to all of us and doing the thing, and at the end of it, it kind of becomes, it transitions into like this kind of informational meeting, and they say, okay, so here's the deal. In order for you to be eligible for this job, you have to go through like a training day or like a, like a trial day to see if this is a good fit for you. And so they, they said, follow us. So they, they get us all up, and they take us outside, and they load us in these like 15-passenger vans, and they drive us to these neighborhoods, like on the other side of the city, right? And they take you to this neighborhood, and they drop you off on the corner in sets of two, two people, and they give you a map. It's got like this path marked out on it, and they give you this stack of cards, okay? The cards were like discount cards for this local golf club, right? And so like, it was like you could get, 100, or you could get 10 rounds of golf for like $100. And so you're supposed to then follow the map in your little set of two, go door to door, and try to sell these golf discount cards to all these people in this neighborhood. And I'm like, what is going on, right? Like, like I came for an interview and here I am, like I'm in a full suit and tie, middle of summer, dying in the heat, walking up and down, trying to sell cards, not selling any cards, right? And it's just like, it's miserable. It starts raining on us halfway through the morning. And so finally you, you, you complete your little route, you get back to the thing, they pick you up, they take you to lunch. So everybody's together for lunch at this restaurant. And I like find like the supervisor person. I'm like, listen, I'm out. 
Like, I'm done. Like, there's no more of this for me. Like, yeah, I don't care about the job. Forget the $20. Like, I, like I'm out. And they're like, well, we're not, you got to just kind of give it the rest of the day and see how it goes. I'm like, no, no, I'm done. Right? Like, this is over for me. And they're like, well, we're not going back until the end of the day. And everybody's in the vans. And it's like, no, no, no. I'll call somebody to come pick me up. Y'all move on. I'm going to sit here and eat my roast beef sandwich and wait for uh, my ride. Right? So I call my dad. He comes and picks me up and takes me to my car. And he is just laughing at me all the way to the car. Right? Because he's like, when it, when, it's, when it seems too good to be true, it usually is, okay? But I was looking for that shortcut. How do I get more faster? How do I get to that next level? How do I get what I think I need? And so um, it seems like all of this is, this is happening all around, right? People are always looking for this. Have you seen the little signs like, on the, like next to the overpasses or by the, the things? Like make $10,000 a month from home. Really? You think you're going to make 10 grand a month in your pajamas? I don't think that, like, have, has, does that work in anybody's universe? Right? But Pete, and there's like a phone number. People are calling this number, right? Like, or you know, sign up for this, this free seminar and come to here and we'll give you the, 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 the real estate secret to make millions of dollars in real estate. Really? You got the secret and you're giving it away for free at this seminar. Is that really how this works? But we do this. We go to these things and we think it's going to work out somehow. You know, even as far as going to the casino or playing the lottery. If I can just hit the right number, then I'll get the windfall of cash and I'll have the shortcut. And you ever notice casinos don't go out of business? Who's really winning, right? I'm just saying, it's just not, it's just not wise. This is not really the way things work. And so, but we have this mentality, if I can just get more money, then I'll be successful. Then I'll have what I need. Then I'll finally have arrived. And so we're looking for the shortcuts. And that's just not the way God sees it. And that's not the way God deals with money, and that's not the way he's going to reward us financially in any way. So what I want to show you today is from, we're going to look at a parable today in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to Luke chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke 16. I forgot to tell you that earlier. This is one of the hardest strangest, weirdest, most misunderstood parables, perhaps in the entire Bible. And it presses in on this idea of what's it look like to actually get and use money effectively in a way that honors the Lord. And here's kind of what I've distilled it down to for you today. The path from wastefulness to effectiveness can only be traveled through faithful shrewdness. That's a mouthful this morning, okay? So I'll give it to you again here. The path from wastefulness to effectiveness. We all want to be effective, right? You want to be effective for the Lord? You want to be effective in your life, at your job? The path from wastefulness to effectiveness can only be traveled through faithful shrewdness. And that's what Jesus is going to talk to us about today from this parable is this idea of faithful shrewdness. So, Let's start in verses 1 and 2, chapter 16 of Luke. Verse 1 starts like this. He also said to the disciples, that's Jesus, he's talking here, he's telling his disciples this parable. There was a rich man who had a manager, and changes were brought to him, or charges were brought to him, that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. All right? So, just pause right there. First point today, first step in this parable is to eliminate 
wastefulness. Point number one, we have to eliminate wastefulness from our lives. So you have two characters that kind of start from the parable here, right? You have the owner and the manager. The owner is also called the rich man here, right? That's the language that this, this translation uses. And the rich man or the owner is representative of God, right? Because he's the owner. He owns everything. It's all his. It's his estate that we're talking about. As we talked about back in the first sermon, view it vertically, God owns everything, okay? Everything we have, everything that exists, it all belongs to him. So he's the owner, and then he has this manager, okay? And the job of a manager was to care or manage the estate, right? And back during this time, culturally, if you were the manager, if you, if you were really rich and you had a manager that managed your estate, they, they basically ran everything for you on the day-to-day basis, so you didn't have to do it, right? And so the manager would oftentimes actually live on the estate, like have their own house or place on the estate. They would live there. They would spend their whole life there. They would manage everything. They would get to, their pay, so to speak, was to live off of the estate and just to be, you know, benefactors of whatever um, the owner had. And so it was a pretty pretty sweet deal if that was, you know, something that you wanted to do. And so this manager, this, this, this guy was supposed to be a steward of what the owner had. He was supposed to manage well on behalf of the owner. That's his whole job. And here the owner finds out, the rich man finds out that there's charges of wastefulness that this manager, this steward was failing to manage the estate well. He wasn't doing his job. Or at least he wasn't doing a good job, right? He was being ineffective for the owner. Like if your whole job is to manage the estate and you're not managing it well, that's a, that's a loose, right? Like that's a problem. And so these charges come to the owner, and because of this, the owner takes away the position. He, the manager's going to lose his opportunity because of his wastefulness. And notice the owner goes to him, and he says, listen, turn in the account. In other words, give me your books. Okay, we're going to do an audit. We're going to figure out, are you being a good steward or are you not? Give me your books. And in the same breath, he's like, and you can no longer be the manager. All right? And, and, and you know, in the words of our famous president from a day gone by, you're fired, okay? Like, you're out. Like, he's like, give me the books, you're gone. Doesn't wait to hear an explanation, doesn't, like, you know, figure out if the charges are true or not. He's just like, nope, you're out, this is done, done deal. And interestingly enough, they must have been true because the manager doesn't try to argue, does he? He's like, no, 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 they got it wrong, let me tell you what's really going on. No, he doesn't even, like, put up a defense at all. He's like, okay, see you later. And so, this is what happens when a manager or a steward is wasteful. They lose the opportunity to manage and steward what they've been given. If God's the owner, then all of us are managers. We're the stewards of God's money that he's given to us to use for him and for his glory. Right? We have to steward it well. We can't be wasting what God has given. And it, but it's not just about wasting money here. Ultimately for us, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, there's even something greater that oftentimes we waste. And that's the gospel. Right? For those of us who have come to know Jesus, who have put our faith and our trust in him and have experienced the love and the grace, and the forgiveness, and the new life 
that we have in Jesus Christ. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with this gift, this immeasurable gift that we have been given? Are we wasting the gospel? Are we sharing it with others? Are we being passionate and urgent and and bold to go out and tell others what Jesus has done for us so they can have the same experience? And if you're new to Harvest or you're new to church at all and and this whole idea of the gospel doesn't make sense to you yet, if that's a new idea for you, it's simply this. All of us, every human, is born with sin. We have sinful hearts. We make sinful choices. We perpetrate sinful actions. I think if all of us are honest and we did an honest assessment of our own hearts and lives, we would see that's a pretty obvious thing on a daily basis. We're sinners and we're broken and we're in rebellion against the God of the universe. And because of that, we deserve his wrath. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell when it's all said and done. And we can't fix it and we can't make it right. There's nothing we can do. We can't do enough good stuff to earn our way back to zero. We've got too much of a hole. So God said, you know what? I'm going to fix this for you. And so God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come and be born as a human to live a perfect and sinless life. Every time I say that, it like strikes my brain as how is that even possible, right? I can't get to like a sinless hour most days. He had a sinless, perfect life. And then he went to the cross and he died a sinner's death. In our place, for our sin as a substitute. He took God's wrath. He took God's punishment. He took God's, uh, all of our debt and all of our, our wickedness and our sinfulness. He took it upon himself and he paid the price by dying in our place and he went into the ground and three days later, he rose back to life. Praise the Lord, the story wasn't over at the tomb, amen? And he came back to life to prove that he was God and that he could forgive sin and that he would forgive sin. And he offers us all an opportunity to have that forgiveness and to have new life with him, forgiven and free, if we will trust in him, if we will believe and put our faith in him and him alone. He is the only path to salvation. You've got to have Jesus or you're not getting in. If you don't have that today, man, you need to get it. You need to decide today put your faith in Jesus. But if you already have that, as I know many of you do, the bigger question now is what are you doing with it? What are you doing with the gospel gift that you've been given? When's the last time you shared your faith with someone who didn't know Jesus? Are we wasting the gospel? Are we wasting our resources that we should be using to support the gospel? to see more churches planted, to see more people reached, to see more people come to Christ. I remember growing up, my, um, my parents were always like on us about wasting things. I don't know anybody, anybody else have this experience with your parents? Like they were like, like, you don't waste, like shut the door, we don't heat the whole neighborhood, right? Like anybody else get that when they were 
growing up, like, it was all about, we're not going to waste stuff. Like, whenever we come to meals, they'd fill up your plate with the food, and you'd be eating, and they're like, all right, you got to finish your plate, because we're not going to waste the food. If you don't finish your plate tonight, guess what? You're having breakfast tomorrow, right here. We'll heat it up in the microwave, because we're not going to waste, because that costs money, right? We're, they were big on the not wasting. We just had Christmas, and I, <laughs> how many of you at your family Christmas, you're still collecting the bags and the tissue paper when it's done because you're using those again next year, right? Like, because you're not going to, like, that's perfectly good bags and tissue paper. Why, why are we wasting this, right? Like, why are we throwing that away? Because we're not going to waste. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little puppy dog following my daughters around the house, shutting off lights behind them, right? Because I'm like, turn off the lights. We're not going to waste electricity. But they don't get it yet. <laughs> Hallelujah in the back. All right. They don't get it yet because they're not owners yet, right? They're just managers. They're just stewards. They're just using it. They don't understand the cost of it. And so they're not as likely to take good care of it either. We've been having to deal a lot with other agencies as we've been caring for Courtney's parents. And every time we call them, like, hey, you know, you sent this. We don't really need it. Or you charged for this, and she didn't need it. Can we send this back, or can you take this off? They're like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, so-and-so will pay for it. This agency will pay for it. They'll pay for it. It's not a big deal. And they don't care that they're wasting the money, tax money, because they're not the owners. They're just the managers. And they're wasting. I read a story this week. There was a guy, he was walking down the street, and he looked across the way, and he saw two guys over there, and they were just, like, going at him, and they were just working hard. Like, they were really exerting themselves, but he couldn't quite figure out what they were doing. He was like, that doesn't really even make sense. So he, like, walks over, and he's like, hey, what are you guys doing? I, I see, like, you're working super hard, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, one of you is digging this hole, and the next guy's just coming in, like, filling the hole right back in. Like, there's no, like, you're not making any progress. Like, what's, what's going on? They're like, well, the third guy called in sick today. He's usually the one that plants the tree. Sometimes we feel like that. We're working hard. We're, we think we're being effective, but nothing's getting done. Right? Working hard and being effective with your work is not necessarily the same thing. You can be working hard and still be wasting. Wasting time, wasting money, wasting energy. Right? Hard work doesn't necessarily mean effective. Effective is, is what I'm doing actually moving the ball forward? Or is it just wasting along the way? The key is, how does God see it? If God's the owner and we're the steward, how does he see your work? How does he see your financial stewardship? Does he see it as effective or does he see it as wasteful? You see, waste is in the eye of the owner. Remember that saying, beauty's in the eye of the beholder? We're gonna switch that. Waste is in the eye of the owner. It doesn't matter if I think I'm being wasteful or not, because it's not mine, it's his. What does he think? How does he see it? Does God see me as wasteful? Does God see your management as wasteful? That's the big question. Are you using what God has given you for him and for his purposes or just for yourself? So we need to eliminate wastefulness. That's the first thing we see. But the parable goes on. So go back to the parable. Look at verse 3 now. It says, and the manager said to himself, so he just got fired, right? He just got canned 
by the owner. And it says, the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So when, so that when I removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. 50% discount, that's pretty good, right? Anybody want that on their bill? Like maybe their gas bill this month, right? After the crazy cold. He goes on, then he said to another guy, he said, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What? That's kind of weird. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Point number two, operate in shrewdness. Eliminate wastefulness. Number two, operate in shrewdness. And in this little part of the story here, the manager shows us four steps to operate in shrewdness. Four, stre- four steps to be shrewd. Okay, here we go. Number one, you can jot these down. Number one, honest assessment. First step is doing an honest assessment of the situation, right? So he knows he's getting fired. He says, all right, what shall I do? All right, I got to figure a plan out here. I gotta, he, he acknowledges the problem. So oftentimes we don't even get on the shrewd path because we're not even willing to t- take a break and step back and look and see if there really is a problem and what the problem is. It's just full steam ahead, man. I'm working hard and I'm going for it and I'm but you're working in the wrong thing or in the wrong direction because you haven't even figured out what the problem is yet. So he's like, listen, what shall I do? I got a problem here. I'm losing my job. Um, I can't dig, all right? I'm too weak. I I know my limitations. Uh, I'm not strong enough for that. Um, I won't beg, all right? I do have standards after all. Like, I'm not going that crazy. So what am I going to do in this situation? He does an honest self-assessment. If you're going to be shrewd, the first thing is you have to be self-aware, right? You have to, to, to uh, do an honest assessment of what's going on and what do I have and what do I don't have and figure out what are my options here. And until you can do an honest self-assessment, you're not gonna be able to solve a problem. So, honest assessment, number two, step number two is a big picture plan. Big picture plan. He says, listen, here's, okay, I figured it out. I, I figured it out, here's what I'm gonna do. When I'm removed from management, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. He lays out the whole plan so that later people will receive me into their homes, right? In other words, somebody else will give me a job. Remember, the the manager stays on the property, right? So, like, I'm going to need a new house because I'm getting fired. I lose my house. I lose everything. So I got to find somebody else who likes me and so I can go stay at their house and manage their stuff, right? So that's what he's thinking here. He's thinking long-term, not just short-term. If you're going to be shrewd, you have to move past the let me just figure out today to what am I going to do next week and next month and five years from now and ten years from now. You have to have a long-term plan. It can't just be today that I'm focused on. It's the mindset moving from a payout to a paycheck, right? Like he's losing his job. He could just try to figure out some quick way to get an influx of cash to get him through the next day or two or the next week. But he's not thinking about just today. He's thinking about what am I going to do long term? How am I going to get myself a, a, a regular paycheck? 
moving forward, okay? So honest assessment, big picture plan, step number three, urgent execution. So he gets his plans, and he starts summoning the debtors uh, immediately, right? And he sits down and says, hey, how much do you owe? I owe 100. Great. Write 50. Do it quick. Right now. Get it done. And he's got this urgency about him to get this done. Because why would you start later when you can start now? Right? Why put off to tomorrow what you can do today? If we're going to be shrewd, it's not just about managing money. It's also about managing time. Right? Time is money, right? You've heard that before? It's true because you can't get time back. Once time is, it's the one resource that once it's gone, you can't get it back. You can't buy more time. You can't find more time. It is limited. And when you're wasting time, it's just as bad as wasting money. So he starts summoning these guys quickly, one after another, right? So he gives us two examples here in the text. Most likely he went all the way down the list. So it probably wasn't just two guys, right? He probably did this with multiple people, because he's trying to get as many opportunities as he can, right? He's trying to, to keep his options open. Let me get as many people as I can in my debt so that I'll have a place to go when this is all said and done. So be urgent in your execution. And then step number four, reap the reward. If you do these things, if you have an honest assessment, you have the plan, you're urgent about the plan, well, reward will come in time. He says, Jesus says, so that they may receive you. Invest for the future, not just live for the present. That's a big part of being shrewd. Right? You have to think long term and know what the reward is that's coming and work towards that. We talked about last week, one of the laws of God's economy is that you reap now and you sow later. Okay? So oftentimes we try to like reap and sow at the same time. Right? Like I did the work, I need it right now. I need the result right now. I need the money right now. I need this. No. That money doesn't last long. It doesn't go far. It's usually not very much. If you really want a reward, you've got to sow now so you're planning to reap more later. That's part of being true. And then there has this, this twist in the story, right? This turn that makes it really kind of strange. All this goes down, and it says that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What? <laughs> like, the guy you just fired, you're commending him now, right? The guy who just stole from you, <laughs> when he cut all the debts in half, you're going to commend that guy? This is why the parable is so hard to, or so hard to interpret and to understand and has, has so many different uh, examples of variations on its explanation. So there's mainly three ideas that go to try to explain this. I'm going to just explain them to you very briefly so I can show you why one is better than the other two. So the issue around this parable for most people is that it seems like both the guys are either sinful or immoral or losers, something. like Neither one of them look like they're too smart in this situation, right? And so how do we deal with that whenever one of them is supposed to be God and one of them is supposed to be us and like how does that play out? Sometimes Jesus uses parables to make a point, not about the characters, but about their actions or the results. And so sometimes, sometimes he'll use characters in stories that aren't maybe the most moral people. Maybe they aren't, you know, uh, good, godly people to still make his point. I'll give you some other examples. In Matthew 25, he tells this parable about two sets of virgins that are waiting for the bridegroom to come. 
One wastes all their oil in their lamps and they don't have anything left. The other one saves their oil. And then when the bridegroom starts coming, the one set goes, hey, give us some oil. Like we ran out, help us out. And, and the virgins who are the good ones in the story who are waiting for the bridegroom say, no, this is our oil. Go find your own, right? And so they're like super selfish about it, right? Like they probably had a little bit to share. Like, no, go find your own. Too bad. And we got our oil and we're doing our thing. And they're the good ones in the story. You see what I'm saying? Um, another example is, um, so you ever heard the parable about the guy who found the buried treasure? Right? Like, so he's, he's digging and he finds the treasure. He's like, oh man, I got to have this treasure. So what does he do? He doesn't tell anybody about it. He doesn't, no, he just buries it and hides it again, goes and sells some stuff and then goes, buys the land. He's like, oh, look, now I've got treasure. Kind of deceptive, right? Like, that's not probably the best way to go about this whole thing whenever you found treasure on somebody else's land. Um, the unjust judge. There's the parable where there's this story about, you know, somebody's coming for a judge. Like, hey, judge, I need you to do this for me. And they're like, no, I'm not going to do it because I'm unjust and I don't care about you and I don't care about the law. And then the parable says, keep asking him because eventually he'll give in just because he wants you to stop annoying him. All right, that's pretty much the, the parable. How do... How does this, because it's not about the characters, it's about the point. It's about the teaching that he's pulling from this. And so in this parable, you have two guys. You have the owner, you have the manager. So the first scenario says this. The master is immoral and the manager is immoral, okay? So this whole time, the master has known what's going on. He's known that the manager has been overcharging people on their debts and charging them too much interest. And so he, when it comes out, when somebody finds out that the manager is being wasteful, he goes and fires him to kind of cover his own butt. But then whenever the manager finds out he's getting fired, he goes to the people and says, hey, I'll take away the extra interest if you help me out on my side. So now they're both playing this, and the manager can't, or the master can't expose the manager for his deceitfulness on the back end because that would expose him for his deceitfulness on the front end. So everybody just says, all right, we'll just kind of let keep status quo here and just move on and part ways. That's not a great example because they, he doesn't call the manager dishonest in the beginning. What's he call him? Wasteful, right? So he's not claiming that there was anything wrong in the beginning that he did. He's just saying you're not managing things well. Right? If he knew what was going on and the manager was making him all this extra money, he would not be calling him wasteful. Right? So let's, let's throw that one out. Second scenario is you have a master who is moral, you have a manager who is moral. Right? So the master didn't know what was going on, and the manager was overcharging people. When he finds out he's overcharging people, he fires him. When the manager gets fired, he's like, oh, man, I guess I probably shouldn't have done that. He has a change of heart. Now he's all, this, all of a sudden this good guy, and he goes and he forgives the extra interest from the people to make it all right. Now everybody's good, and the, ma and the master commends him because he did such a good thing for him. Problem with that one, again, he didn't call him dishonest in the beginning. He called him wasteful. So we don't know that he was stealing in the first place anyways. And secondly, when he goes and he cuts all the debts and stuff, he's actually helping only himself. He's not helping the master in any way. If anything, he's stealing money from the master at that point. And that's not going to be super helpful to anyone, nor is it moral. Right? So the last scenario is, I think is the one that is most likely, and that's this, that the master is moral and the manager is immoral, meaning the master... Was, has business and everything was going great. The manager was running it morally, if you will, but he's doing it the wasteful thing. He's just being lazy, right? He's just not doing his job well. He's not being dishonest yet. He's just not doing his job right. And so when he gets fired to help himself, not to help the master, then he goes and does the dishonest thing of cutting the debts and stealing from the master in order to get himself ahead 
And just kind of give you an idea of how much we're talking about here. So 100 measures of oil. First of all, we don't deal in measures anymore, and I don't think anybody's like going and trading oil at Schnucks, you know, for your groceries, right? So let's just kind of talk about oil here for a second. So 100 measures of oil is approximately 875 gallons of oil, which would be the equivalent yield of 146 olive trees, okay? You parse that out across money, that would be about three years worth of wages, okay? So this guy owed the master three years worth of wages, and then the manager goes and cuts it in half. That's a big loss in terms of money, right? Second one, the guy who had 100 measures of wheat, that's about 1,000 bushels of wheat, which is the equivalent of 100 acres of grain, okay, yield-wise. And back in, there, back in that time, it was a little bit more expensive, and so that would be about eight to nine years of wages, all right? He owed him eight to nine years of wages, and the guy cut 20% off of it. That's a substantial amount of money that this guy just stole from the master, all right? So I don't think the master's going to be real pleased about that any way you skin it, right? But yet, it says that he commends him. But he doesn't just commend him for anything. He commends him for specifically his shrewdness. This is Jesus' point in the parable. Please do not lose this in the midst of all the other crazy parts of the story, okay? Jesus tells us exactly why he's telling us the story. It's about shrewdness. Not the dishonesty, the shrewdness. That's what the master commends. So how do we do this? Because he goes on then to tell us his disciples, to be shrewd like the manager was shrewd. So now we need to discern the difference between heavenly shrewdness and earthly shrewdness, because there is a difference, and it's big, okay? Jesus starts talking here, and he calls one group the sons of this world. He calls the other group the sons of light, right? So when he says sons of this world, what he's talking about is, is people or, um, uh, you know, humans that that are unbelievers, people who have not yet put their faith in Jesus. They have not yet, they're not following God. They're following the ways of this world, right? They're sons of the world. The only way they know how to do things, the only way they know how to say things, the only way they know how to live is the same way the rest of the world lives because that's all they know. They're sons of the world. In comparison, he says, there's also these sons of light, right? Um, In John, it says that Jesus was the light of the world, right? And that the light came to men. When you are sons of light, that means that you're following Jesus and you're being reflectors, mirrors of his light to those around you. So you have basically believers versus unbelievers here. That's the comparison he's making. He says the sons of this world, Jesus says this, the sons of the world actually do a better job at this than the sons of light, right? Like they're more shrewd and they're more on this than you guys are, and that's a problem. He says they use unrighteous wealth, which again doesn't necessarily mean sinful wealth. It doesn't mean like they acquired it sinfully, right? It just means that it's worldly wealth, right? Later on in verse 11, Jesus is going to tell us to use unrighteous wealth. So it can't be a bad thing if he's telling Christians and disciples to use it, right? So the unrighteous wealth is worldly wealth. He's saying they use that to make friends. In other words, they use it to, to get good relationships. They use it to, to better themselves and to, to move the ball down the court and to, to get ahead in, on things. And they do a good job at it. He says, you need to be more like that. You need to use the unrighteous wealth to make friends so that, he says, when it fails, in other words, 
when money stops mattering, you know when that's going to be? When you return to dust. Okay? Probably not in this lifetime. You've got to have money to survive. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to eat, right? But there will be a day where all of us go back where we came from and money won't matter at all anymore. And when it ceases to exist, when it fails to matter, when you move from this life to the afterlife, he says, if you have used the unrighteous wealth correctly now to make friends, hypothetically, not hypothetically, I'm missing the English word there. I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about. As a picture, whatever word that is in English, Make friends so that when it fails, when you move into the afterlife, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So the big question is, who are they? Is that the friends you were making? No. All right, again, that's not really what he's talking about here. Saying if you're using the unrighteous wealth now, the way that God tells you to use it shrewdly, when you move into the afterlife, they, God, will receive you into the eternal dwellings, into the heavenly rewards. Why do they use they? That's kind of a weird thing. In the Jewish culture at this time, they felt like it was disrespectful or dishonoring to God to actually use his name or to refer to him in the first person. So they would oftentimes refer to him in the third person, him, they, whatever, as a sign of respect. So Jesus is following that customer. He says, listen, if you use unrighteous wealth now, if you're shrewd with it, what God has given you on this earth, then once you finally get to heaven, you'll be rewarded by the one who really matters, the, really, the only friend you really need in the end. Okay? And he says, listen, other people do this better than we do, and we need to do it better. So what's it look like to be shrewd in a heavenly way, or as I label it here, faithful shrewdness. I'll give you a, a definition for this. Faithful shrewdness is this. Wisely maximizing what God has given me now to invest in my future with him. This is Jesus' whole point. This is what he's driving at through the whole parable here. Faithful shrewdness is wisely maximizing what God has given me now to invest in my future with him. Not wasting it, using it shrewdly so that it reaps a benefit for me and for him on the other side of eternity. See, shrewd, sometimes it gets a bad rap, I think, in our language. Shrewd isn't being deceptive, right? Shrewd is not being sinful in order to get ahead, although a lot of times that's the way it works when you're in the world. Shrewd is finding the best way to work what you have and to make progress towards the goal. Right? Shrewd is, what do I have in front of me? What have I been given? That I, and what's the best possible way I can use this to get what I want? Right? Really, just kind of practical example. I saw this picture on Facebook, and all you parents are going to understand exactly what we're talking about here. Show us this picture real quick. Food isn't allowed in the living room. His tablet isn't allowed in the kitchen. He beat the system. I quit, right? Anybody felt that way before, right? Like, shrewd. Using the best of what I got to get to where I want to get, to achieve the goal, right? Not breaking any laws, not doing anything wrong, just threading that needle 
walking that line to get the most I can out of what I've been given. For Christians, it's, it's not just working to gain for the purposes of me or for the purposes of this world or for the progress of what I want on earth. It's max, wisely maximizing what I have now to produce maximum return for the Lord and for his kingdom. That's the kind of shrewdness Jesus is calling us to in this parable. So ask yourself, are you being as shrewd for God as others are for themselves? There's lots of people in this world that are running hard and being shrewd to make a buck and to advance their career and to get the bigger house and to get the whatever else vacation you want or whatever the thing is, all right? They're working hard to do that. Are we as Christians working that hard, not for the same result, but in order to be shrewd for the Lord and to see his kingdom advance as much as they're trying to advance their own kingdoms? That is faithful shrewdness. Last point today. Look at verses 10 through 13. Jesus finishes the teaching right here. He says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Point number three, walk in faithfulness. It's not enough just to eliminate waste. It's not enough to just be shrewd. You also have to be faithful, as Jesus talks about here. But the faithfulness Jesus is referring to requires shrewdness, right? If you're going to be faithful to the Lord, you have to not be wasting things. That's part of being faithful, right? God measures effectiveness in faithfulness, not fruitfulness. You need to get this this morning. This is so key to being uh, walking in joy in the Christian life. God measures effectiveness in faithfulness, not fruitfulness. That's the opposite of our world, right? Our opposite measures effectiveness by fruit. How, how, many, how many new clients did you bring in this year? How, how much did the sales quota go up after we hired you? Right? How much did you advance the design for this or that? How many more products did you sell? How, it's all about what have you produced. That's what is considered effective in the world. And God says, the fruit will come. All right? I'll handle the fruit. You don't have to worry about the fruit. I just want you to be faithful. I just want you to do what I've asked you to do. That's the most effective you can be for the Lord. And I'll just be honest with you guys, as just a, a point of personal confession here, this is hard, even for pastors. This is hard for churches. It's hard not to think that the effectiveness of your ministry is contingent on how many people are in the seats and how much money comes in the offering plate and how many events you have at your church and how much you're doing this and that and the other thing. And I'm not saying the numbers aren't important. We track all those numbers here, and we use them to help us understand what we need to do next and what God's calling us to and where he's leading. But that cannot be the sole measure of effectiveness for the Lord. 
and I have to fight this in my heart, and I'm sure you have something similar in your life, whether that be your job, whether that be your family, whether that be school, schoolwork and getting grades or getting the degree or whatever it is you're chasing, I'm sure you have this same angst in you that I've got to achieve this and do this and do this, and if I don't get these things done, if I'm not moving forward, if I'm not finding success, then I'm not being effective. And God says, I just want you to be faithful. I'll take care of all that. You just be faithful. He says, those who are faithful in little are also faithful in much. But he who is dishonest in little is dishonest in much. What he's saying is this, faithfulness is about character, not quantity. I hear from so many people, well, you know, I really, wanna, I really wanna start giving to the Lord. I really wanna start giving more to the church. But you know, things are really tight right now. Once I get that raise, once, once, I, once I'm making more money, once, once I get to that next level, then I'll be able to give more to the Lord. And what Jesus is saying here is like, listen, if you won't give when you have little, you won't give when you have much. Faithfulness doesn't change just because the dollar amount changes. It's about character, not quantity. And faithfulness is proven over time. He's saying, start here with the little. If you show yourself faithful in the little, over time, I will increase what you have so you can be faithful with more and more and more. Because faithfulness is proven over time. And as it's proven, you're given more responsibility and more to manage and more resources from the Lord. But he's looking for faithfulness. He says, if you're not faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will give you the true riches, the heavenly riches? In other words, if you can't manage what I'm giving you here on this earth, why would I give you more when you get to heaven? He says, if you're not faithful with another's, who's going to give you your own? Right? Everything we have right now on this earth isn't ours. It's another's. It's his. And if we're not faithful with it here and now, why is he going to give us our own wealth, our own riches, our own rewards when we see him face to face? I said this the very first week. Money is a test. It's a test. And God uses it to check our faithfulness. He finishes with this. He says, no servant can have two masters can't serve God and money. To be really honest with you, I think this is something that we, myself included, that we as American Christians struggle with a lot. We try to walk a line trying to serve both God and money a lot. If I can just walk this out, yeah, I'm giving to the Lord and I'm doing this thing, but I'm also giving to me and I'm doing my thing over here. And I can have both and both, I, I, it, both can work together and it's okay. And, and it might work for a little while, but eventually it's going to pull you one direction or the other. You can't stay on that tight rope forever. Eventually you have to choose one. That's what Jesus is saying. You have to choose one master, God or money. So what's it going to be? Some of us today, we need to fire a master in our life. And if that's you, if that's something you've been wrestling with, man, get on your knees before the Lord and ask him for clarity and strength and power and get this done. Because you cannot serve both. 
cannot serve God in money. I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to have church today when they were calling for their little snow ice mix yesterday that we got like zero of, right? Um, but we did get a good snow the week before. And so this, this little turn in our weather patterns around here with all the snow uh, reminded me of this video I saw that I thought was a really good thing for our clothes here. So check this video real quick. hard, you're making progress, things are going great, only to find out that you've been working in the wrong direction the whole time. That was my story with the Lord for years. As a teenager, all through middle school, high school, college, man, I was working hard, and I was doing good, man, good grades, right, you know, playing sports, musically talented, Got scholarships coming in, lots of friends, very effective, very successful, moving what I, towards what I thought was going to make me super happy and eventually get me everything I ever wanted. Until in college, God broke my world in half and met me in the pit of my brokenness and said, listen, I'm the only way. Come back to me. And I've been running hard and strong, and I've been very effective in the world's eyes many years leading up to that. And he said, but you're not moving the right way. You're on the wrong team. You're being effective for the wrong master. You're being effective for yourself, for what you want, for the money, for the, for the, for the fame, for the attention, for the whatever you want to label it with. Ultimately, you're being effective for Satan because you're exactly achieving what he wants for your life, which is to separate you from me. No more. You're mine. Let's get this right. And that's what all of us want. I hope you want that for yourself as well. You see, we're all being effective for something. You are being effective for something and for someone. One, the question is, who are you being effective for? For yourself? For your boss? For your career? Your spouse? Your kids? Your money? Your portfolio? What are you being effective for? Or are you being effective for the Lord? Are you being shrewd for Him? Are you running after His ideas and His goals? Which master are you being effective for? That's the question. Which one is it? The path from wastefulness to effectiveness can only be traveled through faithful shrewdness. If you really want to be effective for the Lord, if you want to make a difference for him and for his kingdom, if you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when you give your account before the Lord in the next life, 
It requires faithful shrewdness now. It requires making the plan and setting your face for the Lord. And all of that is revolving around your faithfulness. It's ultimately a question of faithfulness. How are you being faithful with God's money? Are you being faithful to him? Not to you, not to yourself, not to your agenda. Are you being faithful to God? It takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes some sacrifice. And most of all, as Jesus has taught us today, it takes shrewdness. But you can do it. With the power of his spirit, with the teaching of his word, all of us can be on this. We can be on the faithful list. Utilizing God's money effectively starts by having his heart and his focus. That's how you get down the road of faithfulness, is lining myself up, my heart, with his heart when it comes to money. So I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray. We're just going to respond with a song of worship to the Lord, just letting him work in our hearts and align us with what he has so we can be effective for the kingdom, not just for ourselves. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you, God, for your love and your grace. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are so patient with us when we fall and we fail and we run in the wrong direction so often. Lord, when we are chasing something less than what you have for us, less than what you called us to. Thank you, Lord, once again, that, that, you, that your grace and your generosity, that it covers all of that. Lord, we recognize today that all we have is from you. It all belongs to you. It is all yours. You own it. We're just the managers. And the last thing we want to do is waste your money. Teach us, Lord, teach us to be wise stewards to be shrewd in our dealings and strengthen our hearts to walk in faithfulness. Lord, make your heart our heart. That's what we want. That's what we need. That's what we seek. Lord, make us your own in every way. We pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord. Jesus Christ.